This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 296. And the quote of the day is, even if things don't look like they're going to work out, you got to have faith that they will. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here coming at you from Hoboken, New Jersey. This is actually where uh, about 270 of these uh, these interviews have been have been done. And I moved out of this area, and now I'm back for the day. And I'm actually recording it here in a hotel in, in Hoboken, which is really cool to be back. Definitely cool to see how far this podcast has come since it started here uh, in Hoboken. So, Anyway, I want to take a quick second to mention Musicians Institute and the great drum programs that they have there. They have these new innovative courses on gospel drumming, and it's taught by the industry perennial Gordon Campbell, who I've had on this podcast. And this exciting course explores the history and evolution of contemporary gospel drumming. So you'll learn the essentials of gospel repertoire to unlock the secrets of this inciting style of drumming. To learn more, you can just go to mi.edu. Musicians Institute is instrumental in life. Speaking of gospel drumming, this is a master class with the one and only Calvin Rogers. So this record, this was recorded a while back and wasn't really released to the public. It was part of the Drummers Resource Pro uh, membership. And the info in here is just pure gold. So I wanted to share it with you. So without further ado, let's get into it with the one and only Calvin Rogers. First of all, welcome to uh, this masterclass with Calvin Rogers. It's my pleasure to have him here. Calvin is one of the most in-demand drummers out there right now, especially on the gospel scene. He's a really interesting story about how he was he was in the R&B scene, decided he wanted to change the course a little bit and go the gospel scene. And that's something that we talk about in the podcast uh, a lot. So if you're interested in hearing the complete backstory on Calvin, uh, I suggest you just go to drummersresource.com. You can listen to his his podcast episode. So Calvin, thanks for being here, man. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Nick. This is, it's awesome to be back, man. Thank you for having me back. And, uh, you know, during this time, and I know it's a busy time of year for everyone and everyone's getting ready for the holidays. So those of you that, that decided to join, man, and that are online, you know, taking time away from your families and stopping what you're doing. We certainly appreciate you guys being here, you know, just hanging out with us. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first, I want to ask you a couple questions before we get in, before we get into the specifics of the Q and a um, one, it's a broad question, but, but what do you think has been the biggest, the biggest driving force behind the success that you have? Uh, my faith, man, yeah. my faith is, Absolutely, just the biggest thing. I, I've just uh, I've, I've I've trusted God with my gift. I'm a Christian, and um, I've just I've just believed that man, um, you know, God would give me the desires of my heart, and that um, you know I I would um, I would be able to to support my family and you know make make a, a decent career. Uh, from playing drums and, and using the gift that God uh, gave me. So uh, I think that that's the big, been the biggest thing. You know, of course, having the support of family, the influence and the hard lessons that I got from my dad and all of the incredible musicians uh, 
from Chicago that I sat up under and just kind of molded and mentored me. All of those things kind of, you know, all of those things are really, really, they, they play a very, very huge part. Uh, but the biggest thing again is I just think it's been my faith, man. Um, you know, uh, from what I believe to how I went about things and just, you know, uh, you know, my, my faith, when I say my faith, I don't just mean my faith as in believing something that I can't see, but my faith in just, uh, and as, as a Christian, what I believe and, and as a Christian, what I do, um, my faith as a Christian is how I began even playing drums, you know, right. um, being in church every Sunday. My faith is how I decided one day, you know, when I was, I was 19, I was working a job. It was the only job I had at Shared Marketing Corporation in downtown Chicago when the guy told me, man, you, you know, you can't take any days off work. If you want to play drums, you know, you're going to have to do it in your spare time or something. My faith is what had me tell him on my lunch break, I'm not coming back and, you know, never turning back. My faith is, you know, me believing God that he was going to put me, you know, in just in the midst of right people. My faith is the prayers that I prayed that God answered, you know, so I have to say it's my faith is the, the biggest thing, man. It's the biggest driving force. One question sort of about, about your faith. I, I realize that, that you have the, that you're Christian, you have that, and but do you also think that there's another side of it? Maybe there's somebody out there who who's not Christian, right? Um, yeah. Which we're not going to get into. Uh, we're not going to get into that. But I. But yeah. But do you think just a faith in believing that you can do something that you haven't achieved yet, of having that positive mindset of saying, "Listen, I'm not there yet, but I can get there." Yeah, I, I definitely believe. You know, the being a being a being a winner, being a champion, being successful. It all starts here, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, you you got to know it and believe it first, and you know um, you got to put the work in. You know, uh, just because you're gifted, Kobe Bryant is. Uh, you know, I've been on a Kobe craze for for all all, all all since the basketball season, since the season started back up. He's announced yeah. that he's retiring, and you know, Kobe Bryant is a gifted basketball player, but the guy puts his work in as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy is, and he he spends a lot of time in the gym. He, he he conditions his body. He watches what he eats. He uh, he you know he's 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 he takes his ice baths. You know he do, he just does all the necessary things. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who probably without that is still an incredible ba- basketball player. He's probably yeah. still an incredible player. But you have to put the work in. You know for you to be a champ. You know. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that. You know, man. You have to. Uh, you just have to believe it first, you know. It's it's gonna start right here. I think before anyone recognizes it or anyone sees it or anyone knows it or is gonna call you or gonna suggest you or any of that, you gotta know that you can you're gonna be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, you know, you have to put the work in. Even you know, drummers, musicians, so many of us are naturally gifted, but we, we you know, sometimes we can get a little bit lazy and we want the stuff that comes easy. Right. And uh, you know, I've watched so many greats. The thing that inspires me is just watching all of the greats, knowing that they still put the work in. I remember, you know, watching Dave Weckl go through a completely, you know, complete 180, you know, just starting back from the basics. And this was a guy who was playing with Chick Corea, who was, you know, probably one of the most, he was the most noted solo drummer probably in all of history. You know what I'm saying? A guy 
ever. You know, the guys, when you, you talk about solo drum albums, Dave Weckles is at the very top of the list. And this guy just continues to work hard. And, uh, you know, he went through a period where he just completely redid and revamped and retooled everything. Yeah, so, he went, re he went back and relearned technique didn't he? Like from the ground he, up. He went, went back and ground up. He got, got really heavy into the molar thing, and, you know, guy started changing how he played. And you saw everything. You saw the evolution of him, mm -hmm. you know. And this is not, you know, this isn't Dave Weckle that no one knows. This isn't Dave Weckle straight out of St. Louis. This is Dave Weckle the accomplished. He's a Grammy winner, you yeah. know, at this point. But in the, in the guys just go, you know, I, I want to be better. And what am I missing? It's something for my drumming. But, you know, mm -hmm. again, to, to, but to answer your initial question, I think, you know, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're whatever you believe, Whatever you do or don't do, I think that you have to. You gotta have that drive in yourself, and you gotta know it. Mm. You know, you gotta know that you're good, and 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 the way you do that is you put the work in. You know, I, I totally agree. One notable thing that I will say is that you you brought up Kobe Bryant. That I, I'm sure you've seen Kobe Bryant's Muse, the movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this is a documentary for those of you who don't know. It's about Kobe Bryant, and he is he's Kobe Bryant. I mean, he's you know one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And he works yeah. harder than anyone. He gets done and you know, he gets done a game and then they show him shooting free throws at like yeah. 11 p.m. And then on his, working on his fadeaway. <laughs> and then it's 3 a.m. in the morning and yeah. he's still shooting. And then it's 5 a.m. And then it, th there was an interview with the trainer where he said, you know, Kobe got him up at, at you know, one o'clock in the morning to go practice. Yeah. And then he saw him at practice like team practice at 9 a.m and he said to kobe he said oh what time did you get to bed well what time did you yeah. leave and he's like i haven't left yet yeah you know been there like he was the there time. for nine hours 10 12 14 hours and this guy's the greatest so anytime yeah. you ever think about you know anytime your head gets a little big just go watch kobe bryant's muse and watch how much yeah. work he still puts into this day and yeah you will have a newfound respect even if you don't like kobe bryant you watch that movie that documentary and and I and I just had a I had a I just had that conversation with a buddy of mine who just said, you know, man, I wasn't really a Kobe fan and I watched the Muse and I get it, you know, and I, and I think I'm sure that if there were a Muse for Tony Williams, if there were a Muse for Buddy Rich, if there were a Muse for Weckle or Kali Uta or Bruner or you know any of the greats, you know, Miles, Herbie, you know, BB uh, King, whatever, you know, whoever it is, Sting. Any of those guys, if there were a muse, you'd see that there's probably the same, you know, tone, underlying tone or underlying trait. You'd probably find it's the same thing, you know, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the guys, those guys work hard, you know, they, they work hard. And that's that's what it is. And, they, and those guys are some of the most skilled people and the skilled individuals and artists that we know, you know, and, and, and Stevie Wonder is a walking, breathing, just being of music yep. you know what i'm saying but he but man the guy the guy still works hard you know he wants to be an, an incredible songwriter he wants to be he's still one incredible musician the guy goes to the sound checks and sound checks and plays all the arrangements down with his band you know mm -hmm. plays sits down and jams with his band to hammers out giant steps goes out to clubs and listen to musicians in la so you know this is a guy standing at the top of his game. Right. And he, he's probably the, one of the greatest songwriters ever on earth. Yeah. So but that's you know. how you get there. And that's how you stay there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So let's get into some of these questions. Uh, one thing I want to let everybody know, if you have asked a question over on your control panel, you can see a little hand. And if you click and that hand, let me know if you have a microphone, if you have like a headset or something that you're hooked up to, hit that hand button because I'll turn your microphone on and you'll be able to speak rather than just me reading the question. So if you've asked a question and you have headphones and, and you can, or you have a microphone on your, on your uh, computer, let, if you've already asked a question or if you're going to ask a question in the future, uh, just hit that little hand and it'll, it'll raise your hand up. So we know uh, whether you have a microphone or not, so we can hear you. If not, I'll read your question. So either way is fine. Uh, the first question is from Anthony. He says, hi, Calvin, what sort of things are you working on these days to improve your overall musicianship? Thank you. Uh, awesome question. Um, I'm working on, uh, I'm working on several things. I'm, I'm working on being a better songwriter, uh, working on being a, a better um, a, um, music director and arranger, being a better drummer. Um, I am, I'm, I'm in, a, in a place now where uh, you know, I'm trying to embody myself in all of the music. I've kind of kind of shied away from having a bunch of stuff here at home uh, because I tend to just wrap myself up in it. I tend to just become engulfed in that, you know, and I did that for a long time. I have a family now, and I just try to, you know, try to, you know, give it a break sometime. But, you know, I'm coming back to the, to the place where, you know, I just kind of eat, sleep, live, walk, talk, breathe, music, um, you know, um, one of the things that I have um, been working on a lot is has been songwriting, and so um, I'm, I'm spinning along the keyboard, there's a keyboard behind me, and we got a small setup here, and, and it, it stays in my bedroom, so, you know, and I keep a pad here, I got a drum pad, and a kick pad, and, you know, I'm just, I, I spend a lot of time just working out stuff, working out ideas, I've got... A buddy of mine, she's actually my cousin, but we spend a lot of time hammering out ideas, picking up exercises, working on different exercises, stuff to, to teach us, and then going from there to being able to apply it to drums. So um, I'm just now just in a place where I'm trying to bring everything around me full circle. You know, um, I want to, at this point, I want to go back to the point where uh, music is just the hugest portion of what my day is, you know, and I've, you know, I've gotten away from that and it's not like I'm, I'm growing away from it or falling away from it or, you know, kind of become complacent or content. I've just been, you know, working and working on other things, but now, you know, I'm working to have it where, you know, I just want to spend a lot of time doing that. You know, I spend, I've, for the last, since I've been home from tour, you know, I dedicated a certain amount of time to trying to write songs, another certain amount of time to practicing, uh, rudiments, learning, you know, different, some, some, learning some hybrids now, learning how to, and, and, and trying to apply them to the drum kit, you know, and, you know, working on um, a syllabus for, you know, students, you know, I'm taking, I'm going back to my private lessons at the beginning of the year, so trying to have an outline for that and stuff like that, so, you know, I'm just spending a lot of time doing that. That's what I'm doing, and, and it's making me better and stronger every day. Being on tour for 12 weeks uh, just completely, you know, really, really made me, it spoiled me a lot, actually, because now I'm, I'm home, and, you know, while I'm glad to be home, I'm, I miss playing every night. I miss the playing every night, and I miss the growth in my drumming, you know, which I was able to see. So, you know, 
but that's that's what I'm doing to try to make myself the complete musician these days. Awesome. So the next one, uh, we're gonna talk. We're gonna hear from uh, from Blair. If Blair, if you're there, uh, let's see. Blair, can you hear us? Hello, hello. He should be there. Hey, Blair. <laughs> we can't hear him. Hello, hello. All right, we'll try in one second, Blair. All right. So the next person is uh, Jeffrey. Do you have a Jeffrey Almonte? You have a question? I unmuted you. Can you hear us? Hello. Maybe it doesn't sound like the mics are working. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, then we'll read them. <laughs> we may have to try them. We'll try them again in a second. But um, okay. all right. Let's see. Um, so Michael Scott asked, who are the drummers who inspired you to play worship music and why? Um, well, you know, I, I grew up playing in the church. I grew up uh, from the church, you know, born and raised in the church. My dad is, was a musician in the church. My mom was a minister in the church. My grandmother was a singer in the church. My uncle was a pastor, you know, grandmother was a pastor. So um, this just, I spent a lot of time. That's where I started at. And as I got older, you know, I, I began to learn about, you know, um, learn about different music and different genres of music. Uh, and so a lot of the guys that influenced me were, you know, like guys that locally, uh, Clyde Davis was one. He was uh, my mentor for years. He played, he plays uh, a lot of smooth jazz now in Chicago. Uh, well, he plays a lot of smooth jazz, plays with quite a few artists, and he's on a smooth jazz tour right now. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember. He's played with like a, a Steve Cole and um, Dave Cos. He's done a lot of stuff, but he was very he was high demand in the gospel scene when I was very young. He he was a he was a huge influence. Uh, I have two cousins that played drums that were like you know pretty much they were my teachers kind of you know everything I wanted to know about drums they showed me. Uh, Larry and Beerus Bolton, Larry Roberts, um, those guys were probably my first, my very, two of my very first teachers, and just guys who I would ask all the time about different things on drums. Uh, my dad was not a drummer, but he was a, he was a keyboard player and a guitar player and a songwriter, but he just pretty much um, he knew what made a good drummer somehow you know I don't know if he knew what made a good drummer he just knew what he looked for in a drummer you know and you know a lot of times my dad was working with artists here in Chicago and you know he would just I would just be with him you know I'd be hanging around with him and I spent a lot of time with him and I would be his personal drummer uh, so um, uh, later on as I got older um, I, I, I discovered Joel Smith who was out of the Bay Area and he was from the Hawkins family, Walter and Edwin Hawkins. And uh, he's he was a very, very huge influence, probably my biggest influence for for years. You know, I, he was a guy that I, I studied viciously, you know. Um, I just, I listened to everything he was on, and I went to see him play live. Bill Maxwell is another. He was playing with Andre Crouch, and... Um, so he was a guy that I listened to, and then, you know, as, and then as I got older, I, again, more time progressed. Uh, Teddy Campbell, who was from Chicago, was was played a lot of gospel around town, as did Oscar Seaton, who was from here. Um, uh, Felix Pollard, uh, Ray Beatty, 
who is now a pastor, is a youth pastor in, in Houston, Texas, but he was, you know, the the first, probably the first drummer for R. Kelly when R. Kelly put a live band together. And so um, those were the guys that influenced me a lot. You know, you can look any of those guys up on, on YouTube and you see the incredible players, Clyde Davis uh, and, and, and um, Joel Smith, Joel, J-O-E-L, Joel Smith. He's actually an incredible drummer and bass player. He's very good friends with Will Kennedy. Um, and uh, and then uh, um, Joel and, and then Teddy Campbell, Oscar Steeton, Felix Pollard. Those guys are all from Chicago, now living in L.A., but all those guys um, were were very popular in, in the gospel community. And I, I spent a lot of time with those guys. Kevin Brunson is another guy from Chicago as well, and I spent a lot of time kind of just sitting up under and studying those guys, and I just wanted to do what they did. I knew I wanted to play. I knew I felt something for gospel music uh, when I listened to Joel Smith, when I first heard him. Um, I just had this feeling come over me. I had to listen to various drummers and going through my dad's record collection. But when I heard Joel, I just felt something. I felt just this thing came over me. And I just knew I'm like, I want I want to play drums and I want people to feel that feeling. I can't really put it into words, you know, it's just it's a chill, it's a it's it's something that just happens and it just come, comes over you and you just feel something very, very magical. And uh, I just I was like, man, you know, I want to I want to send that feeling out when I play drums. And so, you know, those were the guys that really, really influenced me, really just pushed me into worship music, you know. Awesome. So uh, Blair asks, how do you practice playing creatively? Uh, how do I practice playing creatively? Uh, I guess to answer that, I would say, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time out of the music and then inside of the music, you know. Um, so I don't always, I don't always internal. I don't, I, I, I try to internalize the music. And for me, that means just stepping away from it, from, from behind the drum kit and just listening, you know, get, spending a lot of time listening you know, hearing all the other things that are going on that don't have to, anything to do with my drums, that bass parts, string parts, horn parts, vocals, um, you know, percussion, loops, listen at that stuff, you know, and then kind of letting that stuff get inside me so that I kind of know where everything is. And then from there, you know, I go, I, I go and, I, and I'll deal with it from a drum perspective, from the drum seat, you know, get into it and listen to them and, and then find my way in it, whether it is going to be me, you know, um, re reduplicating a drum loop or a sequence or making it feel live or, you know, changing the groove or, you know, if I want to hear, if I hear something different, a different pattern, a kick pattern or, you know, whatever I hear. So, you know, but. Uh, for me, it's twofold. So my and my first my first instinct is always to just internalize the music, and I, and sometimes I spend more time doing that than I do behind the drums, you know, mm -hmm. um, because the the drum thing, you know, it sometimes that that just happens naturally, and you want to leave room for you know creative ideas and spontaneity and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I won't spend, sometimes I won't spend a lot of time behind the drums. I'll spend a good portion. I'll spend 70 or 80% of the, 
of the time that I'm dealing with the music will be away from the drum kit, just getting it in my system and then just a little bit of time, you know, just making sure I know where my pocket is, making sure, you know, whatever ideas I have, or, you know, if if I want to, if I'm going to approach it, to, even tone wise, you know, what what drum tones I hear, that can be, you know, those are the things that I'll deal with after. The, but that's that's kind of twofold how I deal with, you know, getting music and internalizing it and then being creative with it. Cool. Next question. This is from uh, Julian who said, "Can you talk about how the how the attack that broke your arm and left you with a detached retina has changed your mindset and bettered you as a musician?" Um. Man, you know that was a that was a rough period in my life. You know, I was I was going through the process of losing my dad. Uh, my my dad was was in the hospital and suffered several strokes and stayed in the hospital for a year. We couldn't tell him what went on, and um, so during that time, uh, you know, it was I didn't I didn't go see him for for about a week, which I I would go see him every day or every other day and um there were there was times when uh he was looking for me and I, I just I wasn't there and I was one of the familiar faces for him. You know, I was one of the people that, you know, immediately got a reaction out of him. So it was rough. The attack from my arm, you know, and my and my and my eye, it gave me a greater appreciation for just for being able to just to sit down and pick up a drumstick and just do that. Um, so my left hand, my left arm was broken and for eight or eight or nine weeks, maybe seven or eight weeks, something like that. Nine weeks. I couldn't even do this. I couldn't, I couldn't do this, you know? And, uh, and so, um, I have a great appreciation now for what I do. Um, it strengthened me, uh, it, it, it drew me closer to God, drew me closer to my family, but it strengthened me. I, I think, you know, um, my arm actually ended up, I think my arm is better than it was with, before the attack, you know. Um, the, the arm just came back so strong and so fast. I had a friend of mine, was a bass player in Chicago. Well, he lives in L.A. now, but Rodney Jones had just had, you know, some, 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 months before I went through that he had a horrible motorcycle accident and he was a bass player and he tore a lot of tendons in his arm in his hand and he went to see a, a very noted specialist um, a therapist here in Chicago and so he connected me with him when they took my cast off and um, we, we I went to the therapist I went the first day I went to see him and uh He's looking at my. I brought some X-rays to him, and he's looking at how 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 the bone healed, and uh, he's just going, "Man, this is." He's like, "I'm surprised that the bone healed so fast." And then he gave me this this sponge, and he's like, "You know, squeeze on that. How far can you go? How straight that?" He's just like, "Man, you know, you don't even need my help. You know, if you start having some pain." Uh, you can come back and then we'll start doing this. We'll start doing some exercises. But he showed me a few exercises and gave me a few things to do. And um, I think two weeks after that, I played drums. Nice. So, um, you know, my eye my eye bothers me a little bit every now and then. Right. You know, um, it's probably just a reminder maybe just that, you know, man, things can turn around. And things can change within the blink of an eye. 
mm-hmm. you know, and so you, you know, you gotta, you live every day and you try to do your best to be the best you that you can be. And, uh, you know, whatever you believe, whatever your thoughts are, you know, if, if you make some mistakes during the day, you know, ask for forgiveness and just get up and do it over again, you know, try, try to be better. And, uh, that's, that's what I get from that. It's not probably not a day. I don't think about that. I, well, I, I used to think about it every day, and then now it's, you know, probably every three or four days or once a week. Um, but uh, you know, it just strengthened me. It strengthened my faith, and it strengthened my family, it strengthened my character, it strengthened my body. You know, so uh, it's a good. And it, it brought me very close to you know the wonderful. Uh, I mean, it was just a, a way for me to you know see just the effect and the influence that I've had on so many people. I was I received so many emails and phone calls and text and Facebook tweets and things like that. People send money, people send gifts and cards. So, you know, it it, it may it definitely made me stronger. Right. Know, That's a good perspective to have out of it to get some positive out of out of uh, out of something negative. So um, Yeah. Yeah. So let's go. The next one uh, is from Ashley who said, any advice you'd give to up and coming drummers? Yeah. Um, up and coming drummers, man, you know, I think, you know, the most important thing I would say right now is, um, man, learn how to seize the moment, seize the moment and get the most out of the moment you can. One thing that kind of frustrates me with a lot of young people now that I see and a lot of beginning people and just not even beginners, you know, I see an intermediate advanced. I just see this so much. I see I see moments taking place and I see people gathering in spots. I see people going to hear awesome musicians and them gathering in places and then they, they everybody's got their phone out. You know, I think I talked about this a little bit on on the on the on the podcast. Everyone's got their phone out videotaping and recording and you know, it's just my belief that, you know, you're never, ever going to be able to cap- capture the true essence of that moment and the magic of that moment through a video camera. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so I, I one thing um, I, I just know, you know, when I, I when I got to go see Dave Wackel for the first time and Vinny for the first time, I got to see Dennis for the first time. I'm so glad camera phones weren't out because I just I. All I had, I had to focus and pay attention right. to what was going That's what on because, about. yeah, the, the, I had to focus and pay attention because it was stuff I, I knew I wanted to get from them. It, it was stuff I knew I wanted to grab from them, and I had intentions on. My intent was to go to this event and not to be able, not to post it on social media or not to share it around the world or on YouTube or send it out to, you know, my buddies in a group text message. My intent was to go there. And to walk away with something that I could go back home, get behind the drums, and work on, you know. Right. But it, it took focus, and it took me to focus on it. it. Took my attention, and I had to give my attention and my focus to that. So, you know, the, the the most important thing I would say is, man, seize the moment, especially when it comes to, you know, lessons. And a lesson isn't always when you're sitting down with a teacher, you know. I've learned so many. I've, I've I've taken so many lessons with musicians over the radio, or over an album, and over a CD. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, over a concert. So right. the moment, but being inside the moment and giving it my attention is, you know, what's most important. The next thing is I would probably say is to make sure that um, 
you put the time in. Again, I said earlier, you know, you got to practice, you know, even if you're good at drumming, even if you came out of your mom's womb and you were playing drums from the day you just, you know, came to this earth, you know, you still got to put some time in and you want to be good. There's something to learn every day. So, uh, you know, put, 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 put the time in, you know, be skillful and work at it. And, uh, you know, that's, 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 that's very important. I, I believe, you know, those, those two things are very important, you know, you, and, and, and invest in yourself, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I, I don't know how this goes for everyone, but I know, you know, here in the gospel community, a lot of guys don't have gear, you know, and they don't have any gear. And some guys are walking around borrowing cymbals and snare drums and stuff like that. And I know, you know, gear is expensive, but, you know, whether it's going to be you work on a side job or an odd job or a McDonald's or something like that, have something so that you can, so that you can, you so that you can work on your gift. And so that when you work on it and as you get better, you know, if you get a call and somebody says, man, come play at a club or, Come play at a jam session, or come to a shed, or something. Bring your gear, and come do that. You know, you have you you've got something that you can go and set up. Yep. You know, and continue to do that. Continue to do that. Be present. Be professional, man. That's that's be that's present and be professional. Yeah. Back in a second with Calvin, but first a quick word from the sponsors. As I mentioned before, the sponsors are what keeps this podcast free, so I do ask that you please support the companies who are supporting the podcast and keeping it free for you. First one is DW Drums. They've been supporting this podcast ever since the beginning. Not only do they make great drums, but they are just a great group of people there at DW, and they support this and a ton of other drumming initiatives all over the world, and you can learn more about them, their great products, and their great history by going to dwdrums.com. For those of you on the hunt for new gear and who's not looking for new gear, look no farther than Casio Music. They've been in business for over 70 years, and they're doing something special for the Drummer's Resource Podcast listeners. They're offering 20% off your order by using the promo code POD20. You can go to casiomusic.com, use that promo code, and save 20%. And one of the reasons they've been in business for so long is because they know how to get the right instrument in your hands at the right price. So head over to casiomusic.com, use the promo code POD20. D20, or you can just give them a call and they can walk you through your purchase. Again, that's casiomusic.com promo code POD20. Let's get back into it with my man Calvin Rogers. So the next question is from my man Jeremy Simpson. I love Jeremy. What's happening, buddy? He's all the way over in Australia, man. And he's he's always uh contributing and always attending these events. So Jeremy, thanks for being here, man. Uh, he says, hi, up, Calvin, Jeremy? down here in Australia, and we are well away from the U.S. gospel scene. My question is, um, what's with the gospel chops phenomenon we see on YouTube? How did it come about, and does it actually have any relevance to the music, or is it just drummers showing off and putting as many 32nd and 64th notes in? Cheers. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, man, hey, uh, Jeremy, it's good to meet you, man. Thank you for you know, being here uh, all the way in Australia, I'm, it's it's way way. It's got to be early there, right? It's yeah, I think it's, it's probably like like six a.m. or seven a.m. or something like that. They're like probably. twelve hour difference or something. Yeah. Well, man, whatever it is, man, appreciate you hanging out with us this early. Um, I, for the record, I did not. I was not involved with gospel chops, but what I think my take on gospel chops was, I think 
what happened was there was a phenomenon of of, of musicians that were kind of unknown, and there was a there was a genre of music and a style of playing that was unknown. And what happened was the guy that I think the guy that started it started seeing all these musicians, and he's going, "Where are all these?" creative guys coming from where are they coming from and he was finding out all of these guys that he was you know going you know Pridgen and Moore, Eric Moore and um, all of these guys while they played different things they were all from the church Tony Royster um, you know those guys were all from the church so I think just the title alone Gospel Chops was not necessarily about a fad it was just about the sound of a generation of drummers or sound of a, a community of drummers that kind of was unknown, you know what I'm saying? It was kind of on a, we were kind of under the radar, you know, and we were, we were finding out that we liked that. We were finding out that all these drummers that were doing all of this stuff and were working and that were becoming well known, we were finding out that there were tons and tons and tons of them, you know, and they were all over the place in this, like they were, from the church scene. So I think that's where the whole gospel chops thing came from. I think the guy that started it, I think he was just trying to bring a, 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 a like a bring, bring forth a knowledge about a community or a certain group of musicians that was kind of just not known about. Um, and and what gospel chops now, and, but, and then it took on a whole nother thing, you know what I'm saying? Now People started like making a, it like, yeah. Yeah, and then if so they, the, the people kind of made it into gospel chops being a style of playing, right? You know, right. And Eric so, Moore talked about that in the in the podcast interview too, of just saying like, "Hey, you know, it's it was it, it's not a style. It's just we just got together, yeah. shed, and then it sort of became this friendly competition, and then all of a sudden people are saying, okay, now it's this gospel chops thing.'" Yeah, so when people hear you playing the 32nd note, 64th note thing, it's, oh, those are gospel chops he's playing. It's not, right. you know, it, it, so it, it was that kind, that kind of thing, um, you know. And church musicians, you know, we've we've just been, we have, it's it, it's our outlet, you know, because a lot of us, you know, that's, it's just where we hone our gift at. It's where, it's, it's the grind room for us. And the church, the church is like, you know, it's so... Church is a is a major thing, you know. It's you can you you can be in the church and playing, you know, Latin music. You can be playing jazz. You can be playing reggae. You know, because every culture has church. The Jamaican churches, you know, they have their speak on worship. They have the way they do praise and worship, and then the 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 mega church. Uh, when you do the the, the 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 multicultural church has their language and the way they the way they comp, uh, the way they speak praise and worship musically, then you've got the urban church which has their way the way they do praise and worship. So it's it's different languages, you know, and it's and then you've got the church that has everything. You've got all of those things mixed in, you know. Right. And so, you know, in the church, you can man, you you can really learn about. All these genres of music just from being inside of one genre, you know, you have to learn, you know, how to play reggae music. And then if you go across the water, you know, you go to Africa, you know, and you hear their their language and the way that they do it and the way that they interpret all of the American songs and stuff like that. But they put the African spin on it. It just becomes, you know, because it takes on something 
a whole new thing, you know. So gospel chops is it's not a it's not a style. It, it kind of kind of took that thing on, but it was really just one guy who was going, you know, trying to showcase or give platform to right. a certain community of musicians who just were kind of just unknown about. And Eric Moore and Thomas Pridgen were gaining notoriety playing with, you know, suicidal tendencies, mm-hmm. and Thomas was doing the Mars Volta, and coming from winning the 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 uh, the, um, the the drum off, I met Thomas when he was 16 years old. He just completely blew my mind. It was at a church convention in New Orleans, you know, and he was just a kid, man. Just he was a kid, just going from room to room, wherever the drums were, just getting on and just, you know, just completely killing, man. And Thomas Pridgen is undoubtedly one of my favorite drummers, by the way. Insane. Um, yes, he is. He's just, I mean, and. He is a he's he's a he's a he's a complete monster. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know he, he was he was gaining notoriety from that thing. But I think what was happening was you know people were going out. Oh, he's he's played like that his whole life. You know you got to go right. here and play at church. You know and stuff like that. So you know that's I think that's that's just kind of how that whole thing started. So there you have it, Jeremy. <laughs> Uh, so the next question is from, well, these are, I'm going to combine these two questions. One is from Ashley and one is from Anthony and, uh, Ashley asked, how do you develop speed and consistency in your drumming? And then, uh, Anthony asked how, how, or what specifically do you do to work, uh, to work on, to develop your technique on the set? So basically the same question about technique and speed on the kit. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, when it comes to being agile around the drum set, you know, um, I'm not. That is not an area that I'm strong in. You know, I didn't want. I didn't want to bring fast. it up. I didn't want to bring it up since we're talking about it. We, no. <laughs> it's like I'm kidding. Man, I'm kidding. No, 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 no. I, I get it. Moving fast around the drums is just not. It, it's not something. I, it's not my strength. Um, it's something I, I'm. I'm working on. Um, but I've. I've always been a fan of phrases mm-hmm. more so than speed, you know. Um, so, you know, um, but in, in in working on all of that, you know, I spend quite a bit of time. I, I, I spend, you know, try to spend a good amount of time every day where I am, uh, where I'm, I'm, I'm practicing, you know, uh, you know, single, you know, just, you know, what I'm saying stuff like that, you know, and and just. You know, making sure, and I and I and when I I I have, you know, a couple of apps on my iPhone and iPad, and I got a couple of books um, that I use. And when I do that stuff, you know, I try to do it to a metronome and just try to make make sure that I'm being accurate in my speed. So I'm not just going and slowing down, you know, speeding up. So I use it, you know, a metronome, something like that, and try to, you know, make sure that, you know, I I have um that I'm I'm being I'm being precise. Precision is a, is a huge, huge part of you know what what I think I am as a drummer, and uh, you know one of the things that I think helps me work a lot is you know being precise and accurate, you know, and uh, you know a lot of people you know want a lot of people ask me you know about building up their left hand, you know, and they go I want to I want to just make my left hand fast, and I'm going you know if you play drums, 
for the most part, naturally, your your, your left hand is going to be as strong as your right hand. It's not about making it faster. It's about being able to control it because right. you can you have complete control over your right hand, you know. But if you want your left hand to do everything that your right hand is doing, most of the time it can do it. If you just stand there, if you just just hold a stick and do this and go, I can do this with my right hand, you can probably do it with your left hand. The thing is splitting your brain up and trying to make sure that you control can control the left hand to right. get it to do what your right hand can do. So, you know, accuracy is 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 a very big part of that. And what you want to do is, you know, spend spend as much time as you can, you know, devote as much time as you can behind the kit and spend time behind the drums being creative. You know, come up with some type of plan or regimen for day to day workout, you know, on drums, you know. Uh, and if it's going to be two hours working on being creative, or, and then an hour working on rudiments, and then an hour working on foot speed, and an hour working on hand speed, you know, uh, and then 20 or 30 minutes working on mobility around the drums, whatever it's going to be, have some, you know, set some goals for yourself and, 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 and do that. But um, one of the most important, one of the best ways to do it, one of the most important ways to do it is to make sure that you use some type of mechanism to keep time for you so that you can definitely see the progression. And you'll see it. You'll know. You'll say, you know, if you started at 50 BPMs, you're going to gradually see, you know, man, I remember when I first started this, it was hard for me going from 40 or 50 BPMs to 60 BPMs, and now I'm at 70, or now I'm at 80. You know what I'm saying? Something like that. So, those are things, you know. Those are those are ways, and and my ways of trying to strengthen those areas of, you know, focusing on speed and my agility and my mobility around the drums. Those are the tools that I use to do so. And just to to if I can add on to that, um, a lot of times when you know you see somebody playing, and you know you compare yourself to them, you're comparing your chapter one to their chapter twenty. And, you know, Absolutely. that that there was a time when you're watching Calvin play singles around the kit that he was doing those at 60 beats a minute and then 62 beats. Yeah. A and then so, every, you know, I think a lot of people see the end result and they say, oh, I try I'm trying to do that and I can't do it. And well, it's probably because you're trying to do it at that speed. So my you know, my mm -hmm. biggest thing is always like just slow, slow everything down to where it's painfully slow. And then work it up from there, and the speed will come automatically. That's just – I just wanted to add. Absolutely will. You know, we, we live in a microwave age these days, yeah. so, you know. Yes, we do. Everybody just wants to nuke everything. Nobody wants to, you know, sit in the boiler, sit, you know. And what the heck? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the next question is um, from Julian. talks about uh, – can you talk about drum uh, – about your drum companies, why you left Yamaha and Drumcraft and Evans – and uh, what you look for in a distinct sound that makes you easily recognizable. Mm -hmm. uh, I was with I was with Yamaha for close to ten years. Um, um, when um, Jordan Barth and Joe Testa left, there was kind of a change of guards, and it took them some time to um, kind of figure out how they were going to do things and who was going to do what. Um, and it just became a little bit. It was it was slow, you know. It was, you know, there were because guys had certain guys that they had to deal with, and they had to make sure, you know, these are the guys that have to re continue to get immediate attention and be quick with responses for them, and we have to make sure they're taken care of. And uh, I was already and and, I, and you know I was at a place with Yamaha where I was going, you know, me and Jordan and Joe were talking and we're like, okay, how do we, you know, man, what do you need, Calvin? That how can we make this thing happen? And um, 
you know, how can we make this, this thing better for you? And I was just saying, you know, man, you know, I just feel like, um, you know, I'm kind of on the outside and I know, you know, gospel music is at the low part of the totem pole for you guys. But in any case, you know, Joe and Jordan were preparing to try to, you know, do some things with me and get, you know, get a little bit more attention focused on me and help me get, you know, some gear and stuff like that. Get it. I was waiting to get a new kit and they had, they made, they, they had started making the, uh, what is it, the, um, I can't think of Nouveau Lug. They started making a Nouveau Lug kit, and then I was going to get a Nouveau, Nouveau Lug kit, and then they stopped making it, making the kit, and then they came out with the hook lugs. And so we were talking about getting that kit, and then, you know, Joe told me one day, he was like, man, like, you know, um, Calvin, let me, give me a minute, let me come back around to you. You know, I, I need to put some things in, into place, and I need to deal with some things, and then I'll get you settled away. And then in between then, he was let go at Yamaha. So, um, um, when the change of guards happened there, it wasn't necessarily that um, the guys that they put in place didn't know what they were doing and were doing a bad job. It's just that, you know, it's it was a little bit of it was a little bit chaotic. You know, people weren't sure if they were going to stay or leave. And, and when you're dealing with yeah. those companies too, it's yeah. you know, it's like it's family. And when people leave, it's kind of like, well, I want to, I was, I that's my family, and now I don't have that yeah. family anymore. So I yeah. mean, that's how I feel with my companies. So. Yeah, absolutely. You develop a, such a strong bond and relationship with these guys, and then right. you're like, "Well, you know, where where does this leave me? Do I want you know?" And so, um, you know, I I spent another couple of years there after after um after that, and then I had I had been talking to I have been talking to my my buddy now, he's a very good friend of mine, Vince Mancuso, who at the time was at Drumcraft, and he was just saying, "Man." Um, Man, I, I really want you to check out these drums. This company that I'm with, Brian Fraser Moore is playing them, and I had seen Brian on the on the Super Bowl thing playing with a, a Madonna, and I gave Brian a call, and I'm just like, man, you know, what do you think of these drums? And he's just like, cow, man, they are this and they are that, man. And so um, I, I talked to Vince, and then you know he sent me a kit to demo, a demo the kit, and uh, brought it to Dallas, and then. I, we we made something happen, and you know, um, and then the company had whatever happened with them. I'm not sure really exactly what happened with Drumcraft. I just know one day we got an email and they said, you know, they were going to stop distribution in the United States, and they were ending all artist, you know, endorsement programs, and that was it. And so, you know, it, at that moment, I was kind of. I was kind of going, okay, but, you know, I don't, I don't really know what to do. And I was going, first I was going, you know, I won't even worry about it. I got plenty of drum kits around here. I'll just I'll use whatever kit I want. And then, uh, and then in 2013, and then at the beginning of the year, uh, as I was recovering from my injury, uh, I started playing with the Aretha Franklin. And so they were asking me about backline, about drums. And so... Uh, I was just putting on there, I think I was putting on there, like, you know, six-piece kit specs, you know, it needs to be an all-maple kit. It can be any form of a Pearl or a Mape, um, a Yamaha or a DW or whatever. And one week we were in New York and I had a Pearl reference kit and I absolutely fell in love with these drums. I just fell in love with them. And... Um, 
man, I mean, everything about the drum kit, and they sent they sent a kit with all the sizes. And so, well, after after I did sound check, I just kind of went through the rest of the drums because I played a smaller kit. I played like a a ten. Sometimes I don't even play a twelve, but a ten or a twelve or a ragtop, and then a sixteen, you know, with a snare drum, and that was it. And it. And if I could, if I was able to get a twenty inch kick drum, I would do that. So anyway, I was playing those. I played those drums one time in New York. I completely fell in love with them, and I had them changing on a rider to you know pro reference kits and all the, the time. Rest is and, <laughs> and the rest is history. You know, I I, I was I reached out to uh, to Mike Ferris over at Pearl. We had met a few years back at um at Nam, and we just we we started to talk. We started to make some and it's just really honestly. It is the best decision I have made for my career as far as gear is concerned. You know, it's 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 it brought everything full circle. I am I, I can't imagine now being with any other companies than the ones I'm with. You know, these companies are it just makes everything everything works together. You know, my drums, my cymbals, my sticks, drum heads. Um, I I um I, I was I, I played Remo for for so many years. Play Remo heads for so many years, and then I wasn't I wasn't time with them. And then Dario brought bought um, bought Promark, and they bought Evans, and they just made this one big conglomerate thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to my rep over at, at, at Promark one day, Marco, and he's just like, "Man, are you playing? You know, what heads are you playing?" I'm like, "Well, I'm playing Remo, but you know, I don't have a deal." And he sent me some heads, and we tried them out, and. I dug them. I dug the heads. It was just a different thing for me. It was it was it was different. It was never home for me. Right. And uh, and so uh, I'm a I'm a strong believer, and I'm never going to be the guy that's going to take something from someone because they're giving it to me for free. Right. If I don't, you know, if I don't if I don't want it, if I don't dig it. And Evans makes a great product, and they have a great system over there, and they have a great team over there. Uh, it just wasn't. It and just sponsor, wasn't absolutely they, for me. They sponsored the podcast though, so I can't. But I can't. Oh, oh this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, the Dario, the, those are some great guys over there, and, and I mean, I'm still part of the Dario family because they right. have Pierce Sound and Promark, and they make great heads. They mm-hmm. they do. Just wasn't completely for me. And I never got all the way home. That's all that matters is, is you and your, yeah. you know. And I and and I, and I I told Marco, and I didn't go. I told Marco, you know, I, I told him, I said, man, this is just, this is just where I am. And I went back to buying, you know, buying my remote drum heads. And then later on, I ended up hooking up with Chris Hart and um, Adam Murphy over at Rainbow. And then we just, you know, we made it happen there. So there you have it. Um, yeah. What would, all right? So the next question is from Deshondre Hill, who said, "The first time I heard you're playing was John P. Key's Not Guilty record, and I've been a fan ever since. I'm a huge fan of all mm-hmm. the live albums you've played on, and have transcribed, learned, and incorporated into my playing a lot of your grooves, fills, and licks. Um, uh, a lot of what you sound, what you do, sounds improvising and orchestrated at the same time. Do you work out specific fills?" For specific points in a song before recording songs like Brian Cage's "Faithful to Believe" and your solo at the end of Marvin Sapp's "More uh, More Than a Conqueror." Yeah. Um, again, you know, with live live recording, um, with live recording, usually when I'm doing a live record, what what we'll do is 
it, with those Byron, with, with those those Byron Cage records, those Marvin Sapp records, I would go to Houston for you know three or four days and work with the producer and just get the basis of the tunes, kind of play them down a little bit, you know, not get really, really, really involved with them, just play the basis of them, basics of the song, and then uh, and then I would come back, you know, come back to Chicago and wait a, a month maybe would go by, and then we would get together for a week during the week of coming, for the week leading up to the recording, so the recording was on Saturday, I would come in on Sunday night before and we would rehearse Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then do the thing on Saturday. Um, and I just spend what I do is I from the when it comes to live recording, um, the, the the feels most of the feels aren't aren't um, most of the feels are not scripted, but I do move a certain kind of way around the drums. So if you go and listen to a rehearsal from a from 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 a recording and you listen to the actual recording, you probably won't hear feels that are you know just spread apart like completely different you know what I'm saying they won't be like oh man he played this on the rehearsal but then he played something completely different on the on the session it won't be that um, nine times out of ten it won't be that the mm-hmm. grooves are scripted what I'm gonna play during the grooves you know are scripted and if there are any licks that the band plays together any full you know just full out moves or anything like that whereas it's you know Stuff like that. Um, I'll script those. Right. But, All the hits um, in the tune. The hits, you know, the hits and stuff. I'll, I'll script that or so rock. that we all just know how we kind of how we're gonna move together, you know. And and then me and a bass player will work things out, mm-hmm. you know. And maybe you know doing something, catching catching the horn somewhere, stuff like that, you know. But um, yeah. So I and, and again, you know, I, like for me, you know, it's a, it's still about leaving some some space for the just to be creative. Every time you get behind the drums, so you know, even in the rehearsals, you know, it's not completely stiff where I play the same thing every day, you know. But it's just got it's got a little bit of spontaneity in there, you know. what I'm saying even if it's just being slick with the hi hat or the toms or the splash, you know. what I'm saying just you know something there just to be you know able to you know add some color to it and 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 you know express myself feeling wise, you know. Right, right, right. Uh, so there's still a lot of questions, so I want to make sure that I want to be cognizant of your time too. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we're 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 totally fine, man. Okay, totally. I just want to. I I mean, there's a lot, so I want to try to. <laughs> I want to move through, a, you know, some of them rapidly if we if we can. Just so okay. I don't want to have you here till ten. I'll stay here till ten. I don't care. I just don't. I want to be. <laughs> I want to be cognizant of of, uh, of your time. So I just want to let let appreciate know that too. Um. So um. Elias or Elias, E-L-I-A-S, Elias, uh, if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize, uh, asks, correct me if I'm wrong, but I read somewhere you played on The Power of One by uh, Israel Houghton. What was the mm-hmm. thought process behind the groove on the song Everywhere That I Go? I love that beat since the first time I've ever heard it. Uh, I want to tell you where it was where the, where the groove came from. And it was just, you know, um, it was it was us going, you know, let's find let's find something that's, you know, slick like Kiss, you know, uh, uh, Prince, you know what I'm saying? Find something that's kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, that's kind of got that kind of thing on it, you know what I'm saying? But so the influence was 
was Prince slash, you know, Tower Power Garibaldi. You know what I'm saying? Something that was all my favorite. You know, kind of slick. And yeah, yeah. You know, something that's slick and incorporating in, in a, a hint of, you know, Sly, mm-hmm. Sly Stone. Would they would get, do something with the, you know, do a snare drum thing and a, a, a on a hi hat. You know what I'm saying? Something. So it was just all of those. Those elements, what I love most, that's probably one of the, my favorite albums that I played on, but I just loved how Tommy Sims and Aaron Lindsay and Israel Houghton were just so open to the to all of the drum ideas. And it was just, you know, it was like doing an album featuring drums, you know, because they started with drums. The first thing we dealt with was what are the drums going to sound like? That was the first thing, like dealing with bass drum, toms, and snare. It's like, man, what are the times are going to sound like? What is the snare drum going to sound like? Right. Those were the first two things, you know. So, and then we deal with tone. Once we dealt with tone, we would deal with, you know, vibe and then so on and so forth. But that was the inspiration for the song Everywhere I Go, Israel Houghton, yeah. Cool. Uh, CJ asks, uh, young drummers in the industry that influence you today? Little Mike Mitchell. <laughs> this is the very top of that list. Little Mike Mitchell. Uh, Dana Hawkins. Um Brunner, Ronald Brunner is not that much younger than me, but he's younger than me. Um, uh, Clemens Poindexter, uh, who's my, my little my little nephew or cousin, you know, um, and and his brother Jermaine Poindexter, a uh, ton of guys. Uh, Mike Reed, from, uh, Mike Reed from 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 DC, I believe. Greg Clark. Um, and then there's a guy, Caleb something. There's a guy, Caleb something. He's played with Snarky a couple of times. Um, those are off just off the top of my head. Those are some of the young drummers that really, I just, I really, really love those guys is playing, you know, some of the young guys. Nice. Um, so check, yeah. those, check those guys out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely do that. Uh mm-hmm. Uh, so Maria asks, hi, guys. Really nice being here. Thanks for being here, Maria. We appreciate it. I wonder, she said, how do you keep your confidence when you're on top? Thanks. Uh, well, I guess the, the first thing is never believing you're on top, you know. And if you believe you're on top, just definitely knowing that, you know, the, the ride to the top is definitely short compared to the, you know, ride down, you know. It'll be, you know, the ride down is going to be very quick. You know what I'm saying? It can all change like that. You know, um, I don't believe I'm on top. Be nice to the people on the way up because you're yeah. awesome on the way down. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I don't believe I'm on top because I still have plenty of goals and things I want to do. I, you know, I haven't been on the cover of Modern Drummer. I haven't played at the Modern Drummer Festival. I haven't played at PASIC. I haven't, you know, so, and, 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 and these are all things that I'm not going, well, they're not giving me love or they're not doing this. I'm going, you know, hey, I got to do more. I got to be more present. I got to play more drums. I got to get bigger gigs, you know. I got to I gotta be more present in the industry. So, you know, and so those are things that are just making me push and work harder, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's 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 what it is, you know, my, my confidence level. I love playing drums, and do I think I'm good at it? I, I, I think I'm good. Do I think I'm the best? I absolutely do not. Right, right. It's good advice. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, Dennis S. Uh, he says, sorry for my English. I'm writing from Brazil, which is just amazing that we're talking to people <laughs> from Brazil right now. Uh, my question is about the utility of uh, electronic drums. If you consider it useful uh, playing live acoustic drums or a hybrid kit, because it's difficult to, to use electric drums. Is it difficult to use uh, electric drums playing? But you, you do use a hybrid, right? Or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, what I did was, you know, I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to be able to have my acoustic drums and the electronic drums all within reach, you know, right in front of me instead of, you know, breaking up, you know, putting an electronic kit on the side or something like that, you know. Um, so that's that's what I did. I had to modify some things. I usually play a little, couple of more splashes and a couple of more cymbals, and you know, I had to modify them. But it, this was this was my first time doing it, and I absolutely loved it. I could have I could have done it a different way. I could have just did a you know a SPDS or something like that. But I wanted the I wanted the actual drums, you know. I wanted to be able to strike the drums in the place of them doing, you know. That's why I don't use the 808 from the pad. I use on the tours. I always have the the kick drum pad from the V drum and the actual pads for the drums. And I wanted them to be within arm's reach as if they were a part of the drum kit. Right. All right. right. Sure. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, uh, where are we at? Uh, Michael Scott asks, when you were playing, when you were learning to play drums, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced? I'm guessing it's the same challenges we all have. It's like the in independence and speed and technical stuff, but you can answer that as well. Yeah, you know, growing up in church and growing up in church, I completely learned everything backwards. So I could probably play a double paradiddle and I could play in seven before I even knew what seven was, before I knew what a double paradiddle was, before um, I could even keep time or play to a click. And just in, you know, growing up in church, you know, we just, you know, we, 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 we learn all the cool and hip stuff. And then, you know, so my biggest challenge was was when I wanted to be, make a career of drums, you know, having to start all the way from the beginning, having to learn how to read and being in a beginning band with people who never, ever touched an instrument before in life. And, you right. know, having someone go and, to, and having someone go, you know, play single strokes, you know, at 30 BPMs. And I'm like, why do I need to do that when I can do this? You right. know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you know, so I, it was, it's, it's just patience. It's, it's it's patience. It's you know killing your ego. It's you know throwing away pride. It's all of that. You know, so mm -hmm. that was that was probably the biggest challenge for me. You know, when it came to when it came to you know to that part of of, of it musically. Nice. Uh, so uh, Jacob asks two questions. He asked, "Do you practice mentally, and if so, how?" And another one, same same person. Uh, if you could describe your approach when you recorded drum tracks for the song Never Again by James Fortune, how did you come up with that tasteful drumming? I've loved the way you played on that album. Truly wonderful. So the first question, uh, do you practice mentally? If so, how? And then your approach when you recorded Never Again. I think every drummer knows, every true drummer knows you practice mentally until you're asleep. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I'm playing drums in my head all day. I'm right. playing drums. If you know, we we've seen the pictures of of the steering wheel and steering wheel and the gas pedal, the brake pedal being right. the drums, and you know the steering wheel being the toms. You know what I'm saying? And the the, the picture in the bathroom, the toilet seat, and the guys got a drum kit on the toilet. So I, I you know, I'm always practicing mentally. Mentally, you know, I'm I'm always thinking about drums. I'm always thinking about music, and and in the, at the forefront of it is drums because everything starts with drums for me. 
Yep. Even when I write songs, you know, the first thing I think about is tempo and what the groove is. You know what I'm saying? That's just where I start at. Mm-hmm. Um, never again. Uh, so the song was, was it had been recorded already by a guy that was traveling with James Fortune. And then James asked me to go and do a TV show with him. And I had to learn the song. And I played the song. And then the guy came back and said, man, you played it. So to the point where, you know, I think I want you to put the drums on it for the record. So we recorded the song. We were in the studio recording the song, and I had played the song down. But the guy that's producing the song, Aaron Lewis, shout out to Aaron Lewis, is a very good friend of mine. Aaron Lewis is in Chicago, and he's going, telling me, he's like, man, like, j- just play the song like you were shedding to it. You know what I'm saying? Just get, and I'm like, okay. And I'm, and he's going, man, if you were shedding, like, put, you put a lick right here and put a lick right there, and when we build it, and then, you know, next thing I know, He's like, yeah, I recorded that, and he's like, he's like, all right, man. So he had like two different, two or three different takes, and he just took the tape with all of the stuff in it. And he built, he built around it, took all the horns and the keyboards and everything, and just built built this magnificent song around it. So, nice, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, by the way, I recorded it. That's I like that. <laughs> um, Anthony asked, this is a great question. What greatest lesson in your career did you have the most difficulty with that you can pass on to us? Probably being being a being a producer or any anything that was you know from the moment I tried to go past being a drummer, uh, you know being a music director for Fred, you know just take my ego and my my ego and my my, my pride, you know just taking a pounding not because I'm prideful or not because I'm arrogant but because uh, you know I just had to die. I had to start from scratch with being a music director and so I was just like sometimes I would be going and I'd be going working on an idea and I'd have an idea for a song and then take it to Fred and I give it to him and he's just like I know you worked hard on it man I'm just it, it, I'm not vibing with it it's not cool you know I'm not digging it right and having to you know just go you know and, and make sure that I checked my check my attitude it was like he he's not saying that because he's hating on me or because you know you know because I'm whack it's just you know, I, I, I got to keep growing. I got to keep growing. Right. Um, man, having my first song or the first song I wrote just not being there, you know. Um, you know, and, and even even in drums, you know, I've, I've had – it's, it's, it's always a lesson. There's always a lesson to be learned there. I've, you know, sometimes people want to use other people. Sometimes people don't dig what you do. And it's just right. like you – know, and it's, it's no big thing. I, I don't take it personal. It, it happens, you know. You're not going to be everyone's favorite drummer, right? And you're not going to be everyone's favorite person. And you just you learn to deal with it. You know, just hey, it's nothing you can do about. It. I'll just be the best me I can be. Right. You know? Right. And Mervin asked the question about about killing your pride. Can you explain this a little bit more? Which I think you just did of saying like, you know, you're not always you're not always going to be the greatest drummer. You're not always going to get the gig. You know, sometimes you're not supposed to get the gig for for multiple. Yeah. Years. Um, I think that answers your question, Mervin, because um, he just yeah. talked about it. But if it didn't, uh, feel free to ask. Um, Gary, what's up, man? Gary Rinaldi is in the house. Uh, he said, Calvin, I know uh, I know, time is running out, but I wanted to get to your opinion on smaller drum and cymbal companies using the word endorsement, and I say that in quotes, to actually sell their products. It seems like a lot of these companies are using this as a sales tactic, and they make it yeah. seem like they will endorse anyone with this tactic. Is uh, is it good to always go with your gut feeling when it comes to endorsing a product like you mentioned with Evans? And I'll I'll let you answer, and then I'm going to add my two cents to that as well. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I, I just, you know, simply said, I think I said it earlier, you know, play what you love, man. Play what 
play what works for you. Don't don't go with someone because somebody's going to give you something. And you know, everybody nowadays is so quick. Everybody's just in such a rush, you know, to get an endorsement. And I waited for my endorsement. I, I you know, I, I applied to Zildjian, you know, two or three times. You know, right. I applied to Yamaha two or three times, and uh, you know, I was out with R. Kelly, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I was playing with R. Kelly, and just. Man, I, it was my very first tour. I was unknown and unheard of, and nobody was nobody was really. And there was no TRX. There was no uh, there was no Crush. There was no you know uh, Tie or you know any of these other symbol companies. Uh, um, uh, Soul Tone. There was none of that. Right. You know. So I and I and I and you know I, I wanted to play. I knew what I wanted to play, and and that's just what I do now. You know. Uh, I've I've had some companies come to me and go, you know, man, we'll we'll do this. We'll put your name on something, and we'll, we'll you know we'll give you a line. And I'm like, yeah, I, I I appreciate I appreciate the gesture, and I appreciate you thinking enough of my playing to think that I could you know further your product. Mm-hmm. Part of it is a business decision, but you know I want to I'm going to play what I believe in. I I and I, and I, I love. All the drum companies that I work with, and I'm not saying anything bad about the other ones. Yeah. What I'm saying is, you know, and I, I tell the guys that I mentor and the guys that I help, you know, don't take an endorsement because it's going to be free. Right. You know, don't don't do play, that. Play what you if love. you want to play 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 what you love. If you want to play Sabian, continue to bust your butt, work hard, save your money, and buy the gear you want. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, I actually did a podcast come, about that too, about like. Just play what you love, and if you you know you keep doing the right things, you're going to get that endorsement. And the endorsement, people think you get an endorsement, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like now, now <laughs> no. you're you're gonna all the money starts rolling in, and you get on the yeah. But like they think you just go in your basement, and it's you got you got trunk loads full right. of symbols and heads and stuff right. like that. It's like it's totally not like that, right? I mean, I played Aquarian for ten years before I had an endorsement with them. Why? Because I love playing them. So I love. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so I got, uh, two more, uh, two more questions. These are actually really good questions. So stick around for these answers. Uh, one of them, um, asks about, about how y- you take chops and licks. This is from Ruben Lee. He submitted this via email. It's a long question. So I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, how do you add your chops and licks when playing with other musicians and how do you do the same, uh, with playing with time? He said, the sound, everything sounds good in the practice room. And then I, when I get out there and sit down with the band, it doesn't sound as good. Or like I go to reach for those licks and they just don't happen. Uh, so how do you get that into your, into your playing? And the second quest part of that question is, do you have any experience with jazz? Cause he says he wants to be a funk gospel drummer and many of the greats have jazz experience and knowledge. How do you find time to balance between practicing jazz and other genres? Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, the, the first part of the question is an excellent question, and it's probably the most important thing about when you're becoming, when you're, when you're putting the grind in, and that's, man, you know, knowing is it's why it's so important for you to get out and to network, and to be able to, you know, to to go out and try to find find gigs and clubs and things like that to play in, and you know, because. That happens to everyone. That is a part of the grind. The part of the grind, it's how it goes. You're going to sit in your basement and you're going to come up with a fantastic lick or a fantastic transition, a way to play a song that you're listening to on your iPod or something like that. And then you're going to get with the guys that you're playing with and it's not going to work. It's not going to feel the same. It's not going to be cool. The most important thing about that is not forcing it. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not forcing it. Don't don't feel like, you know, oh man, it sounded amazing in my basement, so it's gotta work. No, it don't work. And if it don't work, don't force it. You know what I'm right. saying? When it when it's when it's gonna work, you'll know it and you'll feel it and you'll you'll know it. And it, it may it may be for another song. It may be for another a completely another thing, a different thing. But that's why it's important that we we always as musicians, when we're working and, and, and practicing and trying to get on our thing, is that we incorporate pre- playing in live settings, not just practicing in our basement, but right. you know, playing with band with different band members and, and players. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it is, it is you're gonna whoever it is you're gonna play with. You know, that's the most important thing. Um, and the back end of the question, he asked about what was what was the second about part of the question? Jazz was, and um, about jazz. How, how you if so. You, how you balance practicing jazz and other genres? If I'm honest, the majority of the time I spend behind the kit, when I want to be creative, I'm swinging. You know, um, I just think that jazz is probably the most, it is the most expressive form of music. It's where you know it all started. Um, it's where it all started. And I heard Dave Weckl say, he said, you know, Dave Weckl said, if I give you this, can you can't tell whether it's you can't tell what it is, but if I give you, or if I give you, he says, you know, you, you got the same BPM, but you've got the, the, the phrasing and the dotted is the dot is different on it. You know what I'm saying? Right. And he's like, man, that all comes from jazz. So you know, man, jazz is just the way. I, it's probably the, all of the licks that I that I play and that I figure out and stuff like that. I I probably learn them while I'm trying to, you know. Improvise, you know, swinging jazz or comping something or something like that, you know, um, and 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 it's really, it's the most, it's the most intense music there is. But it re- and it and it requires, I believe, it requires a good point. It probably requires the most of you, especially as of, as a drummer. Right. Probably requires the most of you because you have to be dynamically aware. You have to be sensitive. You have to be a listener. You have to be, you know, you have to be attentive and you got to be groomed. You got to be prepped. You got to be skilled. So, you know, you know, when you're saying, you know, man, you know, I want to be this drummer, but it feels like I need to put the time in. Uh, I need to be working on jazz. Yeah, you need to be working on it. So you got to find time to put it in. And if that means if you got, you know, if you got two hours to practice, that means don't spend two hours working on double bass. or don't spend two hours working on, you know, a lick that you saw on YouTube. Split it up, you know, work on playing with the metronome, work on, you know, your feel, work on your backbeat. And work on some comping, work on some swinging. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Learn how to transcribe, learn how to read, 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 read the charts, and you know, learn the basics of it. I uh, I totally agree, Calvin. Again, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Everybody else appreciates it, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you all for having me and just for all of the questions, Nick. Uh, hopefully, man, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the, the site grow, and I'm looking forward to being here again, man. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right, Thanks, Calvin. There you have it, the masterful Calvin Rogers. I love that dude. I always love the information, the energy, and just the pure humility that he has, and not to mention that he is a phenomenal drummer. So 
Hope you dug all that info. For the show notes for this, you can just go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 296. Also, want to let you know that if you want to get the emails from me on Monday, which is called Nick's Monday Mix, it's a list of not only what was released on Monday, but also some things that I'm reading, some new music that I'm checking out, and just some overall links that I think that you'll dig. And then on Friday, I send out a That's a Wrap email that concludes the whole week, tells you all the stuff that was released so you don't miss anything. You can sign up. Just go to drummersresource.com. Sign up for the mailing list. If you're already on the mailing list, you're going to get these. But if you're not, you can go to drummersresource.com. Sign up for the mailing list. You'll also get a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations, 100% free. That's 11 creative exercises to help you with your speed, your independence, and your chops. So you can do all that at drummersresource.com. And until the next podcast, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.